Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to those of you that are on Facebook Live. The people that are talking in the uh, atrium, they can probably come in here now, too. Uh, that was just a little hint. <laughs> Public service announcement. There you go. We find ourselves in uh, Romans 13, uh, verses 8 through 10. I'll read that, and then we can begin with prayer. Starting in verse 8. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment, all are summed up by this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we once again thank you for an opportunity to open your word together. We would ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us here. And Lord, that we might be able to, by the power of your Spirit, go forth and live uh, this truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So, love fulfills the law. Um, verse 8, we see the debt of love. It says, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Notice, he starts out in the financial realm, but uh, in verses 6 and 7, he was just dealing with the paying of taxes. So to remain in that financial realm is uh, not a big deal. Some uh, people, when it, when it says, do not owe anything to anyone, uh, some people believe that that means you should do nothing with debt. Let's go buy a house. Who's got all that money? <laughs> now, I, I'm not in any way trying to justify debt. What I would like to point out is nowhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament is debt strictly forbidden. In fact, there's all kinds of regulations by God uh, about debt, about lending, about going into debt. Notice uh, in Exodus 22, 25, Leviticus 25, 35, and 36, Psalm 15, verse 5, uh, God's uh, opinion was, no interest should be charged, especially for the poor. Now, that was among the Jewish people. If we were going to lend money to Gentiles, eh, no problem to get a little bit of interest, but even then, how much? Uh, let me read a couple of verses for you. Exodus twenty-two twenty-five. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender uh, to him. You shall not charge him interest. Now, I, when I first read that, I'm thinking, okay, um, a loan shark. No, no, it's just the idea of uh, charging interest. Uh, Leviticus 25, 35, and 36. If one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear God that your brother may live with you. Psalm 15, 5. He who does not put out his money at usury or interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent, he who does these things shall never be moved. So again, as far as God's concerned, the lending of money, therefore the borrowing of money, is not so much of an issue. Now, when we talk about <coughs> excuse me, borrowing and lending, 
what is wisdom? Okay? Uh, wisdom would say you do everything you can, cash on the dollar. Okay? Uh, but in this day and age, not too many of us can buy a house, for example. I mean, coming up with a down payment of 20% is difficult enough. Okay? So, uh, whole point being is it doesn't say you can't borrow. Uh, when we look at God's people, the design was that God's people would actually be the lenders, but you notice in at least two of these verses here, they are lending to their people. So think life happens, and sometimes borrowing is part of it. Notice uh, number two, charging interest is equating with forgetting God. Again, this is among God's people. Ezekiel uh, 22.12, if you take bribes to shed blood, you take usury and increase, you have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord God. So that's how uh, serious God was as far as charging interest uh, among the brethren. Number three, God warned about those who would not lend close to the year of Jubilee when all debts are canceled. So year of Jubilee, uh, there was a, every seven years, there was a certain thing that happened. Every 50 years, all debt was canceled. And so if we're on year 48 and you need $20,000 and I've got it, it's kind of like, I can lend you two. Why? Because I'm hoping you'll pay me back before the year of Jubilee. I don't want to lend you 20. Why? Because you won't have to pay it back. And uh, God specifically says that's not the way you're supposed to approach that subject. In Deuteronomy 15 to 7 to 9, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of, your, of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from the poor brother. But you shall open uh, your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. So apparently this was also on the seventh year, not just the 50th. So the whole point being is, when you have a brother that has a need, we have a benevolence ministry here. Most of you know that. Uh, we help the average person off the street with about $100 toward electric rent, things like that. Um, this past year, we helped one family in the church buy uh, an air conditioner, uh, another family in the church buy a car, um, that wasn't $100, okay? Yeah, but we've helped them before. You understand? Sometimes life happens more to one person than another. And so uh, a lot of people gave, and we're able to do that. Uh, that's the idea that God wants us to get there. Okay, number four. God promised blessing to generously lending. Deuteronomy 15.10, you shall surely give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. 
So again, the concept of being generous in the lending. Uh, it's said that the righteous are gracious and give. The Bible does. Psalm uh, 37, 21 and 26. The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. Verse 26, he is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. So that's the kind of heart that God wants us to have. Uh, he is gracious to the poor. He who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Uh, by, by the way, uh, whenever we talk about money and we talk about lending, we talk about benevolence, um, on our way home today, we get down to 161, and there's a gentleman there with a piece of cardboard. I'll be honest with you, I don't know what the cardboard said because he had it folded in half and seemed to be talking to himself. That is one way that people try and get money. Some have been interviewed on news reports, and they make approximately $80,000 a year. Now, does that mean all of them are not good? No, I didn't say that. Okay, It is one of those things where you have to use a little bit of wisdom and trust that God's going to lead you one way or the other. If you don't feel as though you want to give anybody on the side of the road a few quarters between you and God, if you feel as though it's not a big deal, he's going to be responsible before God for how he uses the money, that's between you and God. Okay, Just saying that because one of the things that kind of thing does is it makes us all feel guilty like we have to. You don't. Walk with God, follow his leading, and if you feel as though you can do that, hallelujah. If you don't feel as though you can or should, again, between you and God, don't worry about it. Okay? Yes, there are poor people that sit on the side of the road with little signs hoping that you'll uh, be generous. The reality is, is in some cases, the best thing you can do is go down to Walmart, I mean to McDonald's, uh, buy a couple of ha uh, meals and bring them back. Uh, that's at least one way to know that you've helped with something that they need. Okay? Okay, so that brings us to uh, the next point. Jesus gives approval to lending in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> in uh, Matthew 5.42, it says, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. In Luke 6.35, But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Uh, it is uh, interesting. I live in a neighborhood that if my house was somewhere else, it would probably be worth more. Uh, in one of those neighborhoods, you know. And a um, guy down the street, uh, in the past, he's uh, had difficulties keeping a job and stuff like that. He is doing much better. But he, he came and, uh, hey, yeah, 10 bucks. Okay, no problem. Then he comes back the next time. Hey, you got 10 bucks? Kind of like, you know, you, you haven't paid back the other 10. Now, I, I'm not doing that because I need the $10. I'm doing that because he needs to understand, going to borrow, you ought to pay back. Um, and I gave him 10 bucks. And then on top of that, he needed a part over at Al's. So I went over there with him and we're, I was going to get him Dave, Dave Wells' price. And he goes, I don't got any money. You're going to pay for that? So I paid for it. I, I think it was 10 bucks, maybe 20. Um, now, he hasn't been back to ask or uh, other than to borrow for, uh, some tools. 
and I've lent him the tools, and then I've had to go and get the tools. Uh, he's kind of like my son, uh, you know. Okay, hey Jonathan, you got one of my. <laughs> but uh, uh, so, why why would I do that? Because it's not mine; it's God's. And last point here: Jesus gives approval to borrowing for the purpose of investing. Now, I thought this was. Not necessarily a stretch, but uh, the commentary brings this point out, so I figured I'd bring it out. In uh, Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, won't read the whole thing because of time, but this is where, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He calls his own servants and delivers his goods to them. To one he gives five talents, to another two, to another one. When he comes back and they give an account for their talents, uh, the one that had five gained five more. The one that had two gained some more. And the one that had one, well, he basically made some statements. I knew this about you. Now, it never verifies whether or not the statements were true, but that's what the guy believed. At which point, his Lord answered him and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Remember what Pastor said this morning? You believe and then your behavior comes from that belief. Well, notice what he says. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So in essence, he had lent him some money and if he really believed that he was all that he said he would, the best thing he could have done was gone to the bank, deposited it, got some interest, so that so he, in essence, he's borrowing for lending. Like I said, felt as though that might be a little bit of a stretch, but point made. Okay? So that brings us to letter D. When borrowing is necessary, repayment should be according to the agreed-upon measures. Um, if you've got a mortgage, you know how much is due every month by such and such a time, and when it says, owe no man anything, you don't owe him anything until that point, at which point you owe what's been agreed upon and you ought to pay it. That brings us to letter E. Scripture never justifies borrowing for purchasing unnecessary items that can't be afforded. Uh Uh-oh. This is, well... in the past, when, when Tom Bagley was working the benevolence, uh, one of the things that just... And, and he always called them on it. But these ladies would come in, and they've got their nails all done. And they've got their hair done. And they've got the phone. But they can't pay their electric bill. Kind of like, tell me why I should help you. You're not using what you have wisely. Uh, but this would be, okay... Over the next six weeks, I think I can afford this uh, TV, so I'm going to put it on the credit card. Uh, You're kind of pushing things at that point. It's not something you need, and you don't need to do this. You can wait, that kind of a thing. That's basically what that one is saying. So that brings us to number two. Uh, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Love is a constant indebtedness that is characterized by humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. Ephesians 2 says, ah, it doesn't say, there it is, uh, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Got a bunch of verses here that are in the wrong place, so this is going to be fun. Um, 
First, uh, loving someone applies to brothers and sisters in Christ. According to John 34 and 35, it says, and this, boy, I really mess up. There they are. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, I don't know about you, but if you examine this verse and consider what it's saying, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How are we going to define love? Well, we casually get along with each other. I don't know about you, but I know Christians that fit into that category when they're dealing with one another. They kind of casually get along. That love? Love is doing what's best for the other person without consideration, uh, consideration of the cost to oneself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it's doing what's necessary for the other person, what's best for them, and not considering the cost to oneself. Now, if you go back to Ephesians 4, 2 there, with all lowliness and gentleness, so we have humility, with long-suffering, putting up with someone for a long time. goes on to say, bearing with one another. To be honest with you, as a pastor over the years, to hear what some of the people in the church got upset about, please, grow up. Learn to love one another. Uh, One of the issues occasionally where uh, you might not see love is someone's done something to offend you, and what's the best way to handle it? Go and tell pastor. Tell Wayne. Tell Larry. No, please. (laughs) What does Matthew say? Matthew 18 says, go and talk to that person. Uh, Matthew 5 says, if that person recognizes that they've done something to offend you, they ought to be coming to you. The idea is that the two of you are meeting in the middle. Why? Because we love each other and we want to resolve the issue. No, 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 no. (laughs) We're not interested in resolving. I want to get my pound of flesh from that person. Back up. Slow down. Okay, so when it's saying that we ought to be loving one another, we start with brothers and sisters. Who are the most irritating people in the world when you're growing up? Brothers and sisters. Nothing changes when you get older and you're in a church. Okay, Uh, that's the whole point there. Uh, Matthew 25, uh, verses uh, 35 and 36 and 40, uh, serving Christians is equal to serving Christ. And I'm looking for my verses. I'm looking for my verses. Um, there, there they are. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And of course the people say, uh, when did we do that? If you've done it to one of these, the least... The least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. Now, I recognize in context dealing with how people are treating the Jewish people during the tribulation. But the statement is still true. If you serve one another, you're serving Christ. Verse 40, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So, uh, 
love also demonstrates, uh, this demonstrates our love for Christ when we're serving one another. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So, it demonstrates our love for Christ. Now, when we go back to John thirteen thirty four to 35, by this all men will know that you're my disciples as you love one another, as you serve one another, as you take care of the other person's needs without considering the cost to yourself. So especially when it comes to the area of conflict, can we say that if you're going to love them, you're going to deal with it. Paul at one point rebukes the Corinthians because they had taken brethren to court because there had been a financial loss and they wanted to get that money back. He goes, hey guys, we're going to be judging angels. You don't think we can't handle a little problem like that? In fact, you should have just taken the loss. Taking the loss, hmm, that would mean I'd be out the money. That's the same attitude as the guy that wouldn't lend money to his brother because we're close to the year of Jubilee. Oh, pinches a little, doesn't it? So, okay. So that brings us down to letter C. It also applies to all unbelievers, loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Matthew 5.44, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know, there's a measure to which loving my brother and sister in Christ, okay, but then you think about loving those who do all these bad things to you. Becomes a little bit harder, but it also applies to them. Notice the way you treat those who mistreat you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And again, ancient Egyptian way of reconciliation by you treating them well when they've treated you uh, poorly. The hope is that the Spirit of God is going to convict them of what they've done wrong, and they might come around. Uh, Not a guarantee, just uh, God's way of dealing with things. And then, of course, notice it means doing good to all men. Galatians 6.10, Therefore, if we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. One of the reasons why we... In our benevolence, we do $100, 110 124 people outside of the church, people inside of the church. We don't do 110 We pay for air conditioners. We pay for cars at times. Do good unto all men, but especially the household of faith. So that brings us to letter D. What godly love looks like. Uh, believers teach about God's love by, and I've got a list of things here, but I'd like you to consider 1 Peter 3.15. It says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. What does that mean? To sanctify is to separate, to uh, make, make special, if you will. This would be pretty similar to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happens when you do that? And all these things will be added unto you. God has promised to take care of needs. Uh, most of us, he's taking care of needs plus some, okay? Have we been seeking first the kingdom of God? Boy, it's a good thing the grace of God is abundant, right? Um, but when we, when in, the, in our day-to-day, it says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts 
and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. As I've pointed out in the past, I believe this verse right here is God's evangelism program for the world. Uh, it, I've been in various Baptist churches. I've uh, been a teacher trainer in Evangelism Explosion. Uh, I have no problem when it comes to talking to people about Christ, cold call, whatever. But I know that not everybody is like that. In fact, very few people are like that. And yet, God said, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me in all of these places. Who's he talking to? The small percentage of people that have no fear of sharing Christ? No, he's talking to all believers. When the Spirit comes upon you, when he comes to live inside of you, you're receiving power to live in a way that glorifies God, because you're sanctifying the Lord God in your heart, you're concentrating on what He wants for your day, and you're going to be living differently enough that people are going to notice, and they're going to ask questions. What does He say to you? Be ready to give an answer. Okay? That's God's program for evangelism. Now, for those of you that like knocking on doors, hey, have at it. There's plenty of them around. Okay? But... Like I say, that's about 3% of the church. So uh, love is demonstrated. Uh, let me see here. Uh, where am I? There I is. Believers teach about God's love by, number one, living faithfully. Second Corinthians 6, 6 and 7. Uh, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Uh, we demonstrate, uh, we teach about God's love by speaking the truth in love. You know, I have no problem speaking the truth. The love part is one of those things that we're growing in, right? <laughs> Ephesians 4.15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. Um, David Shapiro, Matt Walsh, both uh, and Jordan Peterson, all speaking about uh, the woke agenda as far as the transgender movement, where my pronoun, pronouns are. Uh, the reality is, is there are people that have gender dysphoria. Okay, now, that's the psychological label. What does it mean? They're believing lies, okay? Uh, and I, I'm not trying to be mean. There's all kinds of reasons why they might be believing lies. There could be uh, stress at home. There could be uh, a desire to fit in a little bit better in a certain part of society. Whatever the reason is, they're believing lies because a boy is a boy is a boy until he becomes a man, a girl is a girl is a girl until she becomes a woman, okay? When they say, you have to call me he, him, uh, and it's a girl, so I'm supposed to live in your lie. And it's not so much that they're lying, they're deceived. And I'm supposed to participate in believing the deception. No, that's not the loving thing to do. Now, I don't think you have to purposely go out and call the boy who thinks he's a girl a boy all the time. Christmas time, we were at some friend's house uh, that uh, Linda counsels one of the young ladies, and Lynn uh, is discipling uh, the women, uh, grandma and sister. Uh, I, I don't know all the relations. But they had some family members over that uh, two of their four or five kids uh, believe they're the opposite gender. 
They've changed their names and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, the couple, well, I guess it's a thruple. It's three of them. Uh, I, you know, we never talked about any of those subjects. We played some games together, uh, celebrated a little bit of uh, the coming of Christ, sang some songs. There was no reason to talk about that subject. Why? Because they didn't bring it up. I didn't need to bring it up. We had a good time together. One of the sisters said, why are you inviting Pastor Al, knowing the family circumstances? So that they might know that Christians can be nice people too. Yeah, so we had a good time. Uh, Like I say, we never talked about the subject, but there wasn't a need to. If they had asked... I wasn't going to beat around the bush. That's where some of that love comes in. Um, (laughs) But uh, speak the truth in love. Number three, never turns freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Uh, Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Uh, I remember pastor was speaking... It might have been Sunday morning uh, last week or the week before, and he brought up the concept of alcohol, and he didn't understand why Christians felt as though they needed to be involved in that lifestyle. Again, coming from the background that he comes from and stuff like that. And he brought up someone who said, well, you know, I kind of got drunk at the Bible study. I'm like, "Um, the reality is, is I come from some of that background too. And for me, if someone were to have a, a glass of wine, it, it doesn't phase uh, me one way or the other. They're responsible to God for it. And in obedience, they're not to get buzzed. Look up the definition of drunk if you're influenced by it. So therefore, being buzzed is probably good enough to say that you're drunk. Now, it's not as drunk as drunk drunk, but it's still not able to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what we've been called to do. Uh, but the reality is, is... Um, here someone is taking what they believe is a Christian liberty and they're using it ultimately for what their flesh wants instead of in love serve one another. Um, and, and again, whether or not you should have a, a beer and Bible study or, or whatever it's called, uh, we'll let you uh, figure that one out. But uh, it never turns freedom into an opportunity to flesh. It also never rejoices in anything false or unrighteous. 1 Corinthians 13, 6. A, it does not rejoice in iniquity. Um, It doesn't cause a brother to stumble. That that goes back to that uh, using uh, freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In Romans 14, 21, it is neither good uh, neither to eat meat, or excuse me, it is good to neither eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Uh, love covers a multitude of sin, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. This is not the idea of pretending that those sins aren't there, but understanding that, you know, we grow, we make mistakes. And so I don't have to hold that against you. I, I may want to come alongside and help you learn how to overcome that particular thing, but I'm not holding it against you type thing. And then, of course, uh, love forgives sin. Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. I believe it's Colossians 3.13 says, And if you don't, God's not going to forgive you. 
Ouch. And then, of course, notice it needs to be purposely fanned, going back to 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all these things, have fervent love for one another. The concept of fervent is the idea of boiling water. Okay, it keeps that flame under it so that there's the bubbling. And that's what we need to be doing when it comes to our love for one another. Sometimes we're not easy to love. All you have to do is be married to know that, be in a dating relationship. But then we're talking about brothers and sisters. Can't do things with brothers and sisters that I might be able to do with my spouse. No, no, just stop all that right off the bat, okay? We are meant to forgive and to keep that love boiling, going, okay? So that brings us to the top of the next page. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Uh, Letter A, the great test of love is its willingness to sacrifice. In John 15, 13, no uh, greater love has no one than this, than uh, to lay down one's life for his friend. Remember 1 Corinthians 6? You should have taken a loss. That's sacrificing. That's laying down your life uh, for someone else. Uh, Jesus is, of course, the supreme example. Philippians 2, 6 6 through 8. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. 1 John 3.16, for, uh, for this, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. So uh, it includes sacrifice, Jesus himself being the supreme example. And notice in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, we are called to be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So once again, we teach about God's love by all those other things, but we also fulfill the law by doing that. Letter B, the discharge of love, uh, verses 9 through 10a. Uh, Paul starts by giving an illustration of love uh, fulfilling the law. He quotes six specific Old Testament laws. Now, when I read uh, the version that I have here tonight, the Holman Christian Standard, he actually only quoted five. In the New King James, he quotes six. So I threw in the sixth one, knowing that somewhere in the past, you've got different texts. One follows one text, another follows another text. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything because the six is ultimately included uh, when he says any other uh, commandment. So notice he has five from the Ten Commandments. (coughs) Excuse me. In no specific order, you'll find the, these uh, specific commandments in Exodus 20, verses 13 through 17. In uh, my Bible here, it says, Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Okay? In the New King James, it says, Do not bear false witness. Okay? So it includes that fifth one. So, adultery violates another's purity. Now, I don't know about you, but very often, because... Sex has been perverted by the world so much 
that even in the Christian realm, sex is almost considered a dirty subject. And of course, we have to remind ourselves, who came up with the idea? Yeah, God did. There is absolutely nothing wrong with sex within the bounds that God lays down. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and the two become one flesh. And it's, uh, it's an intimacy, it's the sharing of oneself, and God has all kinds of rules written down in the Word of God that deal with the subject. But even as Christians, we somehow associate dirty with the Word, with the act. It's not. See, before you're married, you are, it's you and God, and you're okay. Providing you follow his rules, you know, uh, not to be involved in sexual immorality. Okay? So at that point, if you're walking with God, you're pure. After you get married, you are completed by the one that God has given you, and everything that's involved in that relationship, <clears throat> within reason, of course, uh, you're still pure before God's sight. It's okay. Adultery violates that purity. Now, you can talk about all the reasons why people get involved in it. And again, most of the time, it's deception, lies. Um, I'm not putting enough effort into this relationship here, and this one's so much easier until you get involved in it, and then all of a sudden it's really, really hard. Uh, but whole point being is uh, you can talk about all that stuff. It doesn't matter. It's violating the other person's purity because if they're married they're, and walking with God, they're pure. And if they are deceived and then you take advantage of that or uh, whatever the case may be, you're violating that person's purity. Murder, uh, basically, uh, or stealing, robs another person of their life or property. Okay? Uh, bearing false witness does damage to another's reputation. And then coveting doesn't always have an outward manifestation, but again, violates the relationship between two people. That brings us to uh, notice all are summed up in this saying, and he's uh, quoting Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jesus said that uh, this commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, was second only to the supreme commandment to love God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that brings us to letter B. He goes on to say, and if there is any other commandment. Well, if he's quoted, in essence, five of the ten, there are, there's one more commandment that deals with a relationship between, mom and, uh, between uh, person and person, and that's honor your mother and father. If uh, the text that doesn't have the bearing false witness uh, is there, well, then they would include two that deal with relationship, horizontal relationships. Okay? The other four deal with the vertical relationship. And he's basically saying, if you do this one, you're doing this one. Okay? That's why it fulfills the whole law. So there's one more that deals with relationships between people or two, depending on which text we're going to follow. Number two, Jesus' teaching on sin. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, if we're talking about following the law, let's uh, consider a couple things. All sin comes from the heart, whether expressed outwardly or not. Uh, Matthew 15, 
It's in here someplace. There it is. Uh, Verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. And there are other places where the list might even be a little bit longer. So all sin comes from the heart, even if it's not expressed outwardly. What do I mean by that? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, Jesus talks about two sins particularly, murder and adultery. In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, it says, You have heard it said of those uh, of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So murder is when you're actually killing a person, okay? And if you do that, you're in danger of the judgment. What is the judgment of the Old Testament for murder? Your life is going to be taken from you. He goes on to say, But I say to you, that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of, notice the words, the judgment. That's the same penalty for killing someone. He goes on to say, whoever says to his brother, Raka, which basically means knucklehead, empty head, that kind of a thing, um, shall be in danger of the council. Now, I'm pretty sure that the council is probably a little bit worse than the judgment. Why? Because of the next one. But whoever says to you, you fool, shall be in danger of, the, of hellfire. Whole point being is, if you call them raka or you fool, or you're just angry with them, you are in danger of the same judgment of actually doing it. Why? Because sin starts in the heart. How about adultery? Matthew 5, 27 to 28. You have heard it said of those who are of old, you shall not commit adultery. Don't have to describe that to you. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, whole point being is sin comes from the heart. Why is that important? Because you don't have to do something to break the law. You just have to think the wrong thing. Uh, Have the desire in your heart for the wrong thing. But notice in number three, love does no harm to a neighbor. Uh, we know from uh, Luke uh, 10, 25 to 37, this is the story of the Good Samaritan, that a neighbor is anyone with whom we have contact. Okay? Um, if my windows were down, it was summertime, 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 and I was at uh, 161 and 159, and the guy's out there with uh, uh, his cardboard, there might have been words expressed back and forth. Uh, would a, hey, can I get you a lunch down at McDonald's or, or something like that? Today, it's a little bit colder. Windows were closed. There's no conversation. Uh, but whole point being is, if I had had contact with him, I'm not just in his presence. I've had contact with him. Then that's the person that I am not supposed to harm. It goes uh, Notice the psychology of self-love is not taught here or anywhere else in the New Testament. Notice in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, why do I say that? Because we are to love our neighbor as ourself. It's not saying you should love yourself. It's saying you do love yourself. You need to be loving your neighbor like you would love yourself. So um, this idea of, well, you just need to love yourself, and then you can really love everyone else, that's 
garbage. It's not taught in the Word of God. And um, it's a shame that a lot of Christians uh, follow that counsel. That brings us to the last part of verse 10, the design of love, 10b. Living by love is not mutually exclusive of living by the law. Now, please understand something. In saying that, I am in no way interested in bringing us back under the law. As we've already seen here, if we're loving, we are fulfilling the law. We're already doing it. Okay? So number two, God's law cannot be truly obeyed apart from love. Notice, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, If you have ever struggled with a particular sin... There comes a point where you have to recognize, I love me more than I love God. That's why I keep on doing this thing. Now, we we can talk about, well, you shouldn't, and here's how you might overcome. The reality is, is the reason why people don't overcome is because they love themselves. Okay? And if you're going to uh, please God, you're going to have to love Him. And love grows. My wife's been married to me for 37 years, and she loves me now more than she did back then. There were times when maybe she didn't, but (laughs) that's another thing altogether, okay? Uh, So, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The only one who truly obeyed the law, that of course is the Lord Jesus Christ, was the one who is love. 1 John 4, 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Jesus Christ being God, obviously, demonstrated that the love of God in everything that he said and everything that he did while he was here. Okay? And he was the only one to truly obey the law of God. He came, according to Matthew five seventeen through 19, to fulfill the law. Uh, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so uh, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Again, not interested in putting ourselves back under the law, trying to help you to understand that when you walk in the Spirit, you fulfill the law. When you walk in love, you fulfill the law. When you walk in truth, you fulfill the law. It is the result of uh, salvation truly being lived out in your life. So notice number three, treating others the way you want to be treated. Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For notice, this is the law and the prophets. And then, of course, James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, what royal law? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. You know, a lot of the problems that we see in this country right now, if we just went back to the concept of the golden rule, most of them would be settled. I'm not saying all of them would be, but a good majority of them would be. Most of the things that cause division between uh, ethnic groups, between uh, socioeconomic classes, etc., 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 all taken care of just by walking in love. Who can walk in love? Only Christians. We can't expect the, uh, the unbeliever to. But God has, according to Romans 5, 5, 
sprinkled the love of God in our hearts already. Being new creatures, having a new heart, having the Spirit of God within us, uh, this new creature is created after God in true righteousness and holiness. And therefore, as we walk in the Spirit, we demonstrate, we show forth the love of God to those that are around us. Can't expect them to do it, but we can do it. And if we can do it towards them, we definitely can do it towards our brothers and sisters. So, owe no one anything. Take care of your financial responsibilities. But make sure you're about the business of loving the people that God brings into your life. Okay? Yes, sir. It sure does. It takes a burden off of the stress that it puts on that relationship. And it's amazing because people that borrow money, they feel as though they have to pay it back. And if they haven't, they will stay away from you. You know, but if they know, look, if you've got it and you can afford it, great. If you don't, don't worry about it. My concern is that you're taken care of, not whether or not I get my 20 bucks back. Okay. You said two things. Okay, for those of you that are on, 20, uh, on Facebook Live, we did not buy a 2023 uh, car for someone. Um, they, they found an old one that uh, they put some money in, some other people put some money in, several people in the church put some money in, and we were able to help them purchase that. Uh, it, it'll serve their needs for a little while, but it was a, definitely a secondhand car. <laughs> And no, don't come and ask me if I can buy you a car. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your love for us. If it wasn't for your love for us, each and every one of us probably wouldn't be, well, some of us might live here in Belleville, Fairview area, but uh, some of us wouldn't. Not only that, some of us might be dead. Some of us might be in jail. Uh, we see the perversion of sin all around us, and we would be a part of all of that. So we thank you for your love. We thank you for that love intervening in our lives. Uh, there have been times when being a Christian has not been easy, dealing with uh, the old, um, the remnant of sin in, our, in these bodies. Uh, it, it's been difficult, but you've always been with us. You have never left us alone. And we thank you, Father, for that. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, knowing that someday whether it be through death or through rapture, we're going to come into your presence because of your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you have put that same love in us, and we ask that you would give us grace to demonstrate that love to one another and to those that you bring into our lives so that we might possibly share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And, Lord, that we would be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. Thank you again for all that you've done and what you're doing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.